I'd like to talk to you today. Who's ready for the word, by the way? Forgot to ask that. I'd like to talk to you today about a specific mandate that is on the church, the body of Christ. And it's first of all, I think, important to understand what is really a mandate. What does that mean? Um, when a mandate is issued, it is, it is a charge or a command, right? And that mandate is given uh, as an order, not a suggestion. So think about that for a second. There's a difference in suggestion and mandate, right? Uh, when a mandate is given, it can be given to an individual or it can be given to an organization, corporately as well. And if it truly is a mandate, then when it is given, it is given not only with the instruction or the charge, but it is also given, listen, with the authorization to carry it out. Fully equipped, fully resourced, and fully backed by the giving party of the mandate to be authorized to see it through and carry it out. If I was to say, you know, that little thing that Pastor Guy just did with the fan, that really bothered me. So, Greg, I'd like you to arrest him for that right now. I'm kidding. It didn't bother me, actually. But if I said that, Greg would be like, uh, you don't have the authority to tell me, and I don't have the authority to arrest the guy for that. So that would just, you see what I'm saying? That'd just be like hope. That'd be like hype. It'd be like, I'd like to see something happen, but at the end of the day, I, nothing's going to back that. So it'd be like a suggestion or an empty desire. A mandate is way more than that. A commissioning is way more than that. It is some charge that is an order that's being given and it's also being provided with the full authorization to see it through. Scripture has multiple mandates that we see for God's people. Not just individuals, but for the body of Christ at large. There are mandates that God puts on His people as charges to carry out. They're not just suggestions. Some of the mandates that we see, uh, you, can, you can tell because you see them in the Old Testament and then you also see them uh, coming through in the New Testament as well, right? Mandates all through Scripture. Some examples I would give you would be there is a mandate on the people of God to take care of widows, there is a mandate to take care of orphans. There is a mandate to take care of the poor. There is a mandate to take care of the sick. There is a mandate to take care of the foreigner or the stranger. You understand where I'm going, right? There's mandates for these, and God is not asking, He is not suggesting, He is charging His people to carry such things out. But then He is equipping and authorizing His people to be able to do exactly what he's charging us to do. 
I, I love this a couple weeks ago. Pastor Rick kind of touched on some of these things when he said, if there is a mandate on a person or a people and then they re- refuse or neglect to carry it out, then they're actually sitting against, sitting against the very nature that they've been given or that they've been charged with carrying out. Uh, so a mandate is not something we have the option to sit out on. We don't take a pass, <laughs> right? I mean, there are things that I'm called to do that you are called to do uniquely as members in the body playing different roles. That applies to our individual calling and assignment But then there are things that are corporate mandates for God's people, for the church at large. So I'm setting all that up, kind of giving you the foundation for the mandate. But the title of the message today and where I want to go, and I think it's so fitting as we were talking about back to school weekend and everything else, is the next gen mandate. And I'm submitting to you that there is in fact a mandate on the church for the next generation that God, that God issues. And I'm going, to, I'm going to show you that. I want to attempt to prove that to you today. My heart and my desire of where this would go is that when we leave, every person who recognizes they're a member of a body of the family of God would say, okay, this is a part of a mandate on my life because it's a mandate on the church for the next generation. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. All right. So open up your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew chapter 19. And I'm actually going to read these verses 13 through 15 out of the Passion Translation. I just, I like this translation for these verses a lot. But if you're reading out of your Bible, it might read a little different, but the Passion Translation will be on the screen. So let's start, verse 13. Then they, they would be disciples of Jesus, they brought little children to Jesus so that he would lay his hands on them, bless them, and pray for them. But the disciples, I'm sorry, they were not the disciples, they were the people in the community bringing the children to Jesus. But the disciples scolded those who brought the children, saying, don't bother him with this Right now, Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me, so never interfere with them when they want to come, for heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to this truth, no one will enter the, realm of he- the kingdom realm of heaven unless he becomes like one of these. And then he laid his hands on each of them, and he went his way. So, I think it's really clear, not just from this passage, but from multiple passages we see in the Gospels, um, that Jesus has a very special place in his heart for little children, for young children. Um... Jesus instructs us in special ways for how to uh, relate to little children, young children, as his people. 
And in these verses, what's happening is Jesus is, you know, doing the teaching and, and imparting to the people. And then some people bring a bunch of little kids, kind of like what we just did, bringing them forward, right? They're bringing kids to Jesus. And the disciples have this moment where they try to stop what's happening. Right? They try to uh, get in front of or get in between these kids coming to Jesus and Jesus. It's, it's like they're saying, this is a distraction. Uh, Lord, we're sorry about all the little kids that they're trying to bring to you. Uh, we know that we need to be talking about kingdom matters right now, God. We need to be about kingdom business, and we're sorry for the distraction of the little kids and for the people who are trying to bring the little kids to you right now while we're trying to discuss kingdom things. <laughs> you got to love the disciples. And Jesus is not okay with that, right? Jesus is very quick to say, do not interfere with what's happening here right now. Don't get in between me and these kids, between what I'm wanting to do in the lives of these kids. Do not stand in between me and this next up-and-coming generation in what I want to do. It's almost like Jesus is saying, you don't get it. We are talking about kingdom things. You can't separate me and my teaching and my mission for you, you can't separate that with my heart for little kids and the heart that I want you to have for little kids. Do you get that? Jesus, he loves children. I remember a couple of times, two times in particular, uh, where God spoke something to me very clearly. The first time... It was whenever Katie and I were uh, just starting to have kids early on, and I think we had three, because Bella and then the twins came, so we went from one to three, and they were all little, and there was some fear that I was struggling with, and the fear that I was struggling with was being worried about their safety. And about their protection. It was like I was wrestling with the reality that I could not be with them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week to guard their life. And it was giving me anxiety, stress, worry. And of course I'm praying about this. The second time, and so what God said in this moment, he actually said again to me in a different way years later. But the second time was when God was speaking to me about the calling uh, on us for this church and about the calling to not just be like an, a local church, but to have a regional impact in the body of Christ. And the bigness of that was just setting on me, and there was excitement. But then after that, I felt this kind of like fear and anxiety start to come back at me from years past. And it was this concern that knowing if we were headed in that kind of a direction that the enemy was going to try even harder to take us out. And then I began to think about my kids. And I was like, God, I, I want this, but I, I don't want it if it's going to cause my kids 
um, harm. <laughs> you just got to be real with God, church. You know, you got to be vulnerable. He's big God. He can handle it. You got to bear your soul. And so I'm just letting this imperfect stuff come out of me in these moments. And God, he spoke to me, made it very clear. He said, Matt, they were mine before they were yours. You think you love them as an earthly father? You have no idea how much I love them. And then he said this. He said, they're safer in my hands than they even are in yours. And it was a breakthrough moment for me, church. It was like a deferring moment. So like, I'm going to do my part. I'm not abdicating my role as a father by any means, but I'm putting my trust in God to cover what I can't cover with my children. And it was just like, the Lord was reminding me, like, you think you love your kids? You, have, you, you, you don't know how, you, you know how much I love kids? You know how much I love children? They're mine before they were yours. And so, Zechariah chapter 8 says that... Uh, it talks about little boys and little girls playing in the streets of New Jerusalem. These verses we just read, Jesus says, kingdom realm is composed of little ones like these. I just, I'm trying to get you to see how passionate, how significant, and how important that next generation that's coming up, that's still in infancy, is to Jesus. And then I'm going to show you how he then goes and places a mandate on his people to carry his heart forth and to fulfill a mission. Let's look at just a, a bunch of verses quickly. I want to read these for you uh, going into some of the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 13 verse 8 says, You shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Tell your sons. Deuteronomy 4, 9 Take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Teach them to your children and your grandchildren. Psalm 78, 4 and 5. We will not hide them from their children, uh, telling to this generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make known to their children. Psalms 145.4, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We all know this next one, Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now listen to this one, Genesis 18.19, For I have known him... God's talking about Abraham, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So, there's, there's this charge all throughout the Bible, raise up kids, impart to them, teach them in the ways of God, instruct them, remind them. Like this is part of the the fulfillment of your mission. <laughs> I would say that the, the greatest level of success, if we're kind of trying to measure it, and I know that's always tricky to do, but just the highest level of measuring success of us carrying out our mission, guys, is did we successfully transfer to the next generation? 
Not how great was I, how many people knew my name, how big of a following did I have. No, the biggest thing that we can look at and see is whenever we go, did we impart and transfer to the next generation so that what was our ceiling now becomes their floor? And in Genesis 18, 19, and he's talking about the promise to Abraham, and he says he needs to impart to his kids, he needs to teach this to his children, and then their children, and it's, and it's through this that my promise to Abraham will come to pass. God is a timeless God, and he's a multi-generational God. And what he begins in one generation, he continues in other generations beyond them. I'm just trying to get us to see right here, church, that our ability to transfer something to the next generation is a major part of successfully walking out the mandate that God has on his church. Hmm. And so the disciples are rebuked for trying to interfere with what Jesus is doing with these little children. Now jump over to, actually go backwards in Matthew chapter 18. And let's read in uh, verses 1 through 6. At this time the disciples came to Jesus asking, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now watch, Jesus does like an illustration here, okay? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. And said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, childlike faith, right, you by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... Parallel passage in Gospel of Mark says causes them to stumble. Listen to this. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Jump down to verse 10. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in, the he- in heaven their angels always see, my fa- see the face of my Father who is in heaven. You don't think Jesus is very passionate about kids? Just read the scriptures, right? So I want to kind of break this mandate down for you in, in three ways. The anatomy of the mandate or the composition of that, the mandate that's being put on God's people for children, the next generation. And it would be, One would be a charge, and then there are two warnings. That's interesting. A charge and then two warnings that are in the mandate. And the first part of that, number one, the charge, is to protect. To protect. Jesus said, whoever receives one of these little ones in my name, receives me. To receive is to welcome in and to care for. Right? To, to raise up, to nurture and cultivate, and listen, 
to provide an environment of safety and sanctity and protection. That we are given the responsibility, God's people, to, to provide that for the next generation. There should be safety, there should be protection, and there should be an environment uh, that is catalytic to them being raised up strong in the ways of God, which means also by implication that part of that caring for or protecting means also running darkness and evil out of the environment that would threaten them or potentially cause harm. To care for, to welcome them in. We provide shelter, a sanctuary, a refuge for the next generation to be able to be raised up strong in. They're not supposed to provide that for themselves. We as the people, the generation before them, we provide that. We, we su- supply that for them to be able to come up strong in God's ways. And by providing shelter, sanctuary, and refuge... We are actually modeling for them what Jesus will provide for perfection for them when they come to know him for themselves. It's a mandate. He says, if you do this in my name, that you're doing it for me. I love this. It's, it's, it's not some frivolous or objective reason. It's authorized. <laughs> It's been authorized by heaven. When you go after the next generation, when you protect them, when you care for them, and you, you express that and how it looks in your own life and in your own space and area, when you do that, then Jesus tells us, he says, I will assist that. I will back that. I will authorize that because you are carrying out the command that I've given you. We don't have to worry about coming up empty-handed, church, in this mission. This is what I want you to hear. Uh, You've probably heard me say this, but I'm going to mention it again, that God spoke a word to us, our church, a few years ago, and He said, I want you to aggressively, and the word aggressively really stood out. He said, I want you to aggressively go after the next generation. And if you will do that, I will provide everything that's needed to carry out that mission. Now, I was thinking about that this week and and just looking back through notes and having conversations with Katie and recalling what was happening at that time. It was the beginning of 2020 and we were in vision month for the year and we were talking about a few things uh, that we are going to, to champion consistently, no matter what. And the next generation, going after the next generation aggressively was one of those things that God was speaking to us about. So then, fast forward later in that year, in 2020, many of you probably recall, it was the year where uh, the pandemic and COVID was so heavy on all communities and schools were actually not meeting in person at the beginning of the school year. And so God began, began to give a strategy at that time. So, okay, I told you to go after the, aggressively go after the next generation. 
And what we did, which it was something that only lasted for like six months, um, but we decided to open up the church as an e-learning site for students. And then we partnered with some of the teachers in the school, and we were in communication with them, and students were coming to the church. We had laptops and computers set up and learning stations. We had volunteers that were tutors and helping as well. And students from the community just began to pour in. Many of you probably remember this. Many of you sowed seed and gave to it to fund the setup of that e-learning site. And many of you volunteered. And lots of students began to come from the community, from in our church, but many from outside of our church. And it was amazing. And God assisted it. God advanced it. And God caused it to bear fruit. That was really the beginning of the explosion that we've been seeing in our youth group here at LCX. But I'm just saying that that God, you know, He has a mission for us to be on that involves the way we relate to and the way we see and the way we reach for the next generation. And we've really driven a stake in the ground here around this. You'll see this in the way we carry out ministry, things that might be a bit untraditional or unorthodox to what you might be used to uh, if you've been in other places before, but there are things like our youth being up here on the platform on Sunday mornings leading worship every now and then for the congregation, our youth being involved serving in the kids' ministry and teaching and leading worship down there. I just want to tell you that if it weren't for the students that we would probably be 50% less provided for in our entire media department back there that that supports everything that happens both in services on Sundays as well as everything online. (laughs) I'm just saying you're going to see it because we're leaning into it. And, And this is an expression for us, I'm not saying the way we do it is how every church should do that. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying that this is a way for us to kind of carry out this mandate, this charge that God has put on us. You know, there are, there are people that would read this passage in Matthew 18 and say, you know, Jesus saying, He who despises one of these little ones would be better for a millstone to be hung around his neck and cast into the sea. Uh, who causes one of these little ones to stumble. You need to welcome and care for these. There are some uh, views of this verse that say it's figurative. Okay? Now, listen. There are, just give you a little bit of instruction on reading the Bible. There are times when things are literal and figurative. It's dualism. There are times when that is the case. There are times when something, you look at it, and your first approach is to take it literal. This is how I would say is the right way to interpret Scripture. If it's absolutely impossible to take it literal, then it becomes figurative. An example of that would be Jesus saying, you are salt. Well, it's impossible for us to be salt. So that has to be a figurative implication, and we know he's talking about our lives should season the lives of people around us and environment, provide seasoning, right? That would be figurative. But I also want to say this, we have to be careful not to look at something and say, well, that can't be taken literal, it must be figurative. You know, there are lots of 
teachings that would say things like the flood uh, and God parting the Red Sea is, is just figurative because it can't be taken literal. Well, when it comes to miracles, they defy science and understanding of human logic. So you just have to be very mindful of these things when we approach the scriptures. But there are things that are little and figurative. And here's what I'm getting to. I absolutely believe with all my heart, 100%, that when Jesus is talking about little children, yes, he, there is figurative implication to new believers and immature believers. We see places in Scripture where little children are used as figurative, and he's really talking about uh, baby Christians or babes in Christ. So I do think there is figurative implication, but I absolutely believe before you go figurative, it is 100% to be taken literal as well. And here's why I say that. It's the context of these verses, and context is king. You break this passage down and you look at it, what does Jesus do? He grabs a little child and he brings him over in the middle and he sits a little child right down in the middle of them. And he says, do not despise these little ones, do not cause them to stumble, welcome them and care for them. So there is a, a mandate that I see in scripture that God puts on the church to carry out that he will divinely assist for us when we lean into it and we stand for that. And we have to stand for it, not abdicate that as the body of Christ in the world today. So that was point number one, is to protect. Now we're going to get to the two warnings. Point number two, don't cause to stumble. Don't cause to stumble. Which means to endanger or to harm. The Passion Translation in Mark's account says, don't abuse or mistreat. To cause to stumble means to lay a snare, to lay something in front of that can become a trap to someone. It can be done intentionally, listen to me, or unintentionally. Anything that's done that would lead one of these little ones into a place of harm. So any teaching, any instruction, any ideology or philosophy that would be attempted to be propagated or, or passed on to the minds of young children growing up that would eventually lead them to a place of harm, Jesus says, don't ever do that. That is to be admonished. I think part of what I see in a lot of the things that are passing down through our systems in society that are trying to reach to younger and younger and younger audiences and then and then impart philosophies and ideologies to them now. Listen, I know we can hear cases and 
positions that this is, you know, we're, we're celebrating diversity, we're celebrating uniqueness, and all of these things. But I'm just telling you, you can call me crazy if you want to, but those things that are being, that are being put out, if they're bought and they're carried for long enough, what I see down the road, probably three, four, five years from now, is major destruction, heartache, despair, disappointment. I see a crisis in the up-and-coming generation if those things are allowed to remain. Anything that leads them into harm, causes one of them to stumble, is rebuked. And again, it could be intentionally or it could be unintentionally. I don't know how you feel. That, that puts some responsibility on my shoulders. I better, I better know what's true. And he's not just taught, you, you know, he's not just talking about like life skills. <laughs> I mean, that's part of our job. But he's talking about all through scripture, training them up in God's ways, in his laws, in his precepts, in his word, and what he says to do and what not to do. Those are the things that God values. Those are where the premiums are. Pass these things on and establish this foundation for them. Because here's, here's what you find. When, when children are young, and this is why it's so important, right? Because when they're little, we, we know that they lack the physical characteristics to take care of and protect themselves, to fight off a physical threat. So we would say, yeah, my job to protect them. Dog tries to tag my kid, I'm going to step in the way. Anything happens, I'm there, right? They're not capable yet. But their minds are the same way during the early years. These are the formative years. Until a child gets to be like 10, 12 years old, Jewish tradition, tradition calls it the age of reason or age of accountability. But it's all those early years that are the formative years, guys, that we've got to be sowing God's precepts, God's ways, and His Word into them because that's what's establishing the framework and the system for how they're going to begin to make decisions and take actions really when they're just young students as teenagers you're not leading them as much anymore by instruction. It's more by influence, and that's based on the foundation that's already been set. Am I making sense to anybody today? So, so those formative years, those early years, it, it's just so clear. It just makes so much sense. This is why the church has been mandated with this. Raise them up in God's ways so when it's time for them to make their own choices, make their own decisions, take their own actions that they're operating out of a place of truth and a foundation of solid rock that's been established there. So that was point number two, don't cause them to stumble. Point number three, don't despise. Don't despise. What does that mean? Remember what I, we read, it said, whoever despises one of these little ones. Don't despise these little ones. It means... To disregard, to shun, or to turn away. Hmm. I'll give you another word. Neglect. I would say 100% speaks to a person who is a member of the family of God abdicating a mandate. To protect the next generation. 
neglect. It just means stepping out of the way. Letting things happen. To be passive or apathetic. Proverbs 29 says, A child left to themselves will bring shame. Right? There's a, there's a period where they're not going to lead themselves. That's why God equipped the church. Mandated parents, but mandated the church, the body of Christ, to raise up a strong generation for future kingdom advancement. Child left to themselves, that's not good. They don't know right and wrong. They don't know the way. They have to be led, protected, sheltered, provided refuge and safe environment to grow up strong in. You know, Katie and I, we we're at this, it was probably a couple years ago, started actually, but this kind of new place of freedom in our lives. When our oldest reached the place where she was capable and responsible enough to start babysitting. How many, get an amen, any parents, you know, yeah, woo, yeah, right? Date night, baby. <laughs> Bella, cancel your plans, all right. And now we've got three of them capable of that, so it's like a whole new world, right? The days of trying to figure out a sitter, making your calendar, like we want a date night, it is, it is awesome. Praise God for this season. Because <laughs> they're capable. We've imparted to them how we want things to be done, how we see things happening in the house, which needs to be provided for. And some of the parents are like, oh, I'm praying for that day to come. I'm ready. <sighs> Can I borrow Bella? No. <laughs> uh, but if I was to say when the kids were three and the twins were one. Date night, babe. The kids are good. Let's head on out. We'll leave them by themselves and they'll be perfectly fine here to take care of the house. You'd be like, I'm calling DFS on you right now. Right? Because it would be neglect. Saying when there's a, a mandate and a role that we've got to play to, to raise that next generation up. To, to step aside is to neglect the very thing that God is telling us to do and that he is willing to authorize and equip us to be able to do. You know, the priesthood of Eli was cut off because he failed in imparting God's ways and values to his two sons. You remember that? It said, your sons are wicked. And God dealt with that through the prophet Samuel and said, yeah, it's, it's not good. The priesthood is going to be cut off from you. I mean, Eli, from what I read, he, didn't, he wasn't really a bad priest by way of what he did for the people. But he absolutely failed in raising up his two sons to carry on the values of God and to continue that priesthood lineage. So by default, he really finished poorly. Would you agree with that? You know, Samuel, the prophet even, it says that when Israel came to Samuel demanding a king, I don't know if you ever picked up on this before. You remember that when they're like, give us a king, give us a king. We want to be like the other nations. 
have someone to rule over us, to protect us, right, instead of trusting God. But you know what they said? They said, because your sons are not like you. So the people reached for something as an ungodly, unhealthy solution because Samuel failed in his effort to raise up that next generation beyond him. I'm just saying, like, I see things so much differently than I did when I was younger. Like, the, the, the real charge in finishing well is obedience and faithfulness, but there's a huge exclamation point on how we leave the next generation that's going to run behind us. You've probably all heard stories like I have of great leaders in business or economy that have accomplished great things, multimillionaires, billionaires, built enterprises, but so many of them who have lost their own children, whose own children have no sense of value or work ethic or understanding of the principles and things that actually led their fathers or mothers to do what they did in this life. It's just the most important things were not passed on. And the reality is, is in order to pass it on, it costs something. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It takes focus. It takes saying no to lesser things that could seem good but interfere. It's understanding how important this mandate and this priority is to really raise up the next generation for God successfully. Ugh. A mandate for the entire body of Christ. Not just single individuals. You know, Jesus is not sitting here giving a parenting class. He's not saying, okay, uh, let me just get the moms and dads over here for a minute. We're going to talk about some parenting stuff. He's talking to everybody, to the sea of people who are there. And he's saying this is a lesson that every single person needs to hear. And ultimately, guys, if that mandate is not embraced and carried out, and again, God assisted as it is, but if it's not, I, I have, I've studied through Scripture very in-depth the stages and the progression of societal decay. And I've even studied it in history too, but really in the scriptures, because it happens like over and over and over again. And the stages of the decay of society. And we see Israel fall into it time and time again, and it's ultimately met by judgment. And here are the stages that I see. It is first that God begins to be removed from places that he was once instituted in. He's removed. Now, for the people who are not really paying attention, that happens, and they don't even realize it happened. Mm. Or it's just not as big of a deal to them. They think people are making too big of a deal out of it. But the first thing is God is removed. I'm telling you, it's, it's strategic by the enemy. 
The next thing is idols are instilled in places where God used to be. Altars for idol sacrifices get set up right alongside the altars that were reserved to be for God at all. Idols can be gods, they can be philosophies and ideologies that we cling to so much that we begin to let other things that are more important go. Again, societal decay. The third stage is immorality sets in. Immorality is first tolerated and then it is celebrated. Societal decay. But the last one that I see throughout Scripture that reaches the final point when God's hand literally comes off of a people is when children begin to suffer and be sacrificed on the altars of ideology. There was a Canaanite god called Molech that God forbid the people, do not let your children pass through the fires of Molech, sacrificing children to a God that they would worship. Hard to even imagine, right, that taking place by a single individual, much less a society condoning that and permitting that. But it happened. And it happened on more than one occasion. In the final decay of a society is when the innocent, who are supposed to be getting protected, begin to suffer because God's people have abdicated their mandate. And then God's hand begins to come off. Now I just want you to know this, that those Molech sacrifices, guys, it took, in almost every case, it took several, at least two, sometimes three, generations before it got that bad. It progressed. You've already heard like what the first generation tolerates, the next generation, you know, you've seen that progression, right? So normally it was one wicked king, then another wicked king, and then another wicked king. Manasseh was one, multiple wicked kings in a row. There was a righteous king back here before that. But it takes several generations. We think, how could it ever get that bad? How could innocent unborn children be sacrificed and slaughtered by the millions every single year? It's several generations deep, and it begins to become full-blown. So I guess what I'm saying today is that this was really, for my heart, is a rallying cry. To just say to the people of God, to the church, we have a mandate. We have a mission to carry out to reach aggressively and raise up the next generation and to see them be fruitful for the kingdom. It's going to require us protecting them, make sure we're not leading them to stumble, make sure we're not neglecting the things that God is asking us to do. And let it be said, not just in this area or in this church, but in this entire 
region that the next generation is alive and well. That they are thriving and they are carrying forth the things of God in their area and in their generation because the people before them embraced and carried out the mandate that was on the church for them to do. There are a lot of ways that this can look in all of our lives. We can pray. We can give. We can serve in church, in our community, in schools, in programs. There's, there's a plethora of ways. And I believe that God would speak these specific strategies and ideas to your heart if you would ask Him, them, if you were willing. But I just close with this question and this thought, this mandate, guys. What kind of a priority does it have for me in my life? How does it show itself as a major priority in the way I carry out what God is using me to do in the way I use my time, talent, and treasure? Because if it is a mandate, if it really is, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then none of us sit this one out. (laughs) None of us sit this one out. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I ask that you would just speak to us today, my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just stir our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us, aim us, direct us, fill us with fresh, new, creative ideas and strategies. Praise God. Lord, we're asking you, bring us the next generation. Bring them by the masses, God. I believe we're ready. You know, church, you can't see this because everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but I, I just want you to hear me say this. You have no idea how many heads were just nodding yes right there when I said that. Thank you, Lord. Let us not be found neglecting the mandate that you've placed on us. Help us, oh God, as your people to properly bear your image to those who will run after us. Thank you, God, for assisting and equipping and providing every means and resource, both tangible and spiritual, necessary to do this work. I pray this would burn in the hearts of all of your people. We give you honor and praise and glory. We say, Lord God, you are worthy of our worship, our affection, our adoration. God, you are worthy of our lives. Help us to dedicate our lives in your service is our highest priority. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand?